This copyright expired song reminds me very much of Charlie Chaplin movies. I could picture this being the soundtrack as Charlie Chaplin is chased by a police officer and then he slips on a banana peel and then is hit by a train. Because after all, what is funnier than misfortune befalling a homeless person? Nothing in the 1920s. That's as funny as it got. Oh, he's already down on his luck. And now things got worse. Hilarious. This copyright expired song is Kitten on the Keys by Zez Coffrey. This was Zez Coffrey's only hit, bit of a one-hit wonder, kind of the chumba-wumba of his time. If I may explain old music by referencing other old music, his only hit, he says the song was inspired by his cat walking across the keyboard. Well, there's the reason it's his only hit. The fucking cat wrote the song. The cat's the creative force in this partnership. Fucking Zez Coffrey took what the cat wrote and then sat around the rest of his life going, write another one, mittens. At any rate, that is Kitten on the Keys by Zez Coffrey, clearly the Art Garfunkel to his cat's Paul Simon. Hello, I'm Jeff Maurer. This is the I Might Be Wrong podcast. You are listening to the audio version. Why do I need to explain that? You know that you're listening, not reading. How fucking insulting is it to my listeners to think they don't know the difference between listening and reading? You're listening to the I Might Be Wrong podcast, which is, as we covered, the audio version of my Substack, which is called I Might Be Wrong, and you can find at imightberong.substack.com, where there are many, many articles, not just the stuff that I'm going to talk about today. I encourage you to go, subscribe. Uh, If you would like to pay me, cool. If not, It's all free. I encourage you to check it out, even though market research shows that most people who listen to the audio version cannot read. Today's episode is called Why Theranos Makes Me Worry About the Green Technology Revolution. I wanted to write this one because I noticed a conflict between two things, I believe. The first thing is that it's good to see the world through clear eyes. I try to not be an optimist. I try to not be a pessimist. I try to see things as they are as much as I can. That's the first thing. The second thing, I believe, is that the only way to solve climate change is through better technology. We're not going to solve it through conservation and better behavior. As I've said before, anytime you are betting on the better angels of human nature, you are fucked. That's not going to work. We have to invent green technology that outcompetes fossil fuel technology. So that's the second thing. And those two things are a little in conflict because I do think as excited as I am about a lot of green technology, I've also noticed a certain amount of uh, venture capital technobabble bullshit in this space. So I wanted to talk about it. The article is called Why Theranos Makes Me Worry About the Green Technology Revolution. Subheading, brief thoughts on Don't Look Up, also included for maximum clickbait. So let's start there. My main thought while watching Don't Look Up, and I know you are probably starved for Don't Look Up takes. You can't find them anywhere. They're nowhere on Twitter. Finally, someone is talking about the movie Don't Look Up. At any rate, my main thought while I was watching was, would that it were so simple? 
That is my Coen Brothers reference for the day, by the way. Would that it were so simple. The movie, don't look up. It's an allegory for climate change. Adam McKay has said it's an allegory for climate change. But the threat in the movie, a comet, differs from climate change in several key ways. A comet is an immediate threat with an obvious solution. You throw Bruce Willis at it, obviously. A comet requires no collective action. It affects everyone equally. Scientists can also describe exactly what's going to happen when the comet hits with a high level of certainty. Look, I wish a comet was going to hit us. That would be awesome. Unfortunately, the challenge we actually face is climate change, which mostly affects other people's grandkids, which really does have to be the single least given a shit about demographic on the entire planet. Now, some of the good news in the climate change space is that it is getting easier and easier to imagine what a zero carbon future might look like. Green energy and electric cars are things now. They are ever larger parts of our lives. Game-changing technologies like fusion power might be on the horizon. Oh my God, that would be big if we invented that. Also, real money is starting to line up behind this technology. Investment in climate technology is up 210% over last year. PricewaterhouseCooper puts it at $222 billion. And amazingly, the half a trillion dollars for climate spending in the Build Back Better bill is actually not the part that's making Joe Manchin lose his shit. That's the part that's going to survive if that thing passes. And as I record this, the bill is still in limbo, and I'm sure it will still be in limbo when I post this, because being in limbo seems to be the perpetual state of that bill. At any rate, there is money behind this stuff now, and that is all very good news. I mean, very good news. That is exactly what we need. Now, unfortunately, this podcast and I don't like this, has principles, and I do keep to them about 40% of the time. And two of those principles are be curious and be honest. And if I'm being honest, I do detect a certain amount of techno-hype bullshit in this green revolution. I do wonder how much of that $222 billion that's been invested is chasing pie-in-the-sky claims by CEOs who are not going to be able to deliver. Now, obviously, some bullshit is inevitable. People who run startups, those people need to work in bullshit the way Michelangelo worked in marble. If they don't, they won't get funded. That's the nature of that game. But here's what's making me worry a bit. Theranos. It's the odd, <laughs> the odd and captivating and awesome story of Theranos does make me wonder at least a little bit Exactly how much bullshit are we talking about here? So, Theranos. I personally love the Theranos story. It is a great example of my favorite genre of thing, which is lying assholes getting what's coming to them. One of my favorite movies of all time is Shattered Glass. I really recommend you look it up. Shattered Glass, the true story of a <laughs> lying little shit who published garbage in the New Republic until he got busted cold at a pancake house. The pancake house, by the way, is the detail that really makes the narrative sing. That pancake house is still there, by the way. It's in Bethesda, the original pancake house. It's on Wisconsin Avenue. Go there and soak up the history. Also, the 49er flapjacks are pretty good. At any rate, much like the story of Shattered Glass, 
the Theranos story is just absolutely packed with amazing, colorful details. The fact that <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes dressed like Steve Jobs, that's so weird. I don't think we reflect on how weird that is. But she dressed like another person. And that's extra weird when you consider that Steve Jobs' look was already beat poet meets burglar from a Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon. So already weird. And then you had a second person dressing like that first weird person. Another great detail is the, hey, we're working with the military lie. That's so ballsy. So ballsy. (laughs) Because it exploits our habit of suspending skepticism towards anything that claims to be for the troops. You know, another great detail, the fake voice, fake deep voice, fake deep voice is amazing. It's incredible (laughs) that nobody ever heard her and then jumped up during a meeting and went, fake, it's fake. Your voice is clearly fake. That's not your voice. No woman sounds like James Earl Jones. Please knock it the fuck off. It's just a fantastically weird story full of fantastically weird people. And it does make you wonder, didn't anyone, anyone have their bullshit detectors turned on? Think about it. Consider the most basic description of Theranos. What they were saying happened. What they were saying happened was a person in her mid-20s with no background in diagnostics to speak of, this person has invented a game-changing medical device. Does that sound to you like a thing that would happen? It doesn't to me. To me, it sounds like, hey, a toddler invented a self-driving car, or a dachshund has solved Planck's constant. Bullshit! I would maybe, maybe believe a 25-year-old inventing a TikTok filter that gives you bushy eyebrows. But even then, I'd need to have a dozen experts run through the code line by line before I'd invest. The very idea of what Theranos supposedly did is airbud level ridiculous. And yet, <laughs> they were once valued at $10 billion. The fuck how? Well, of course, some of it had to do with the optimistic you have to believe attitude that Theranos really turned into a pathology. Elizabeth Holmes once started an interview with the somewhat mangled quote. Uh, I'll quote her now. First, they think you're crazy. Then they fight you. Then you change the world. Mm. Yeah, sure. I mean, sometimes and other times you're just crazy. Naysayers within the company, they were often told they lacked faith. The company actually emblazoned a wall in their headquarters with The Yoda quote, do or do not, there is no try, which is inspiring if you ignore the fact that the line was written for a puppet by the guy who also wrote the line, I don't like sand. By the way, if I ever have a company and put a Star Wars quote on the wall, the quote I'm going to use is, uh, excuse me, but the most safest place would be Gunga City by Jar Jar Binks. I think of that quote a lot when times are tough. (laughs) It gives me guidance. It gives me hope. The line again, excuse me, but the mostest, safest place would be Gunga City. Why did they let George Lucas write scripts? Just let him produce. Hire writers. I'm off on a diatribe. Anyway, back to Theranos. So that attitude, the, hey, they called Einstein crazy narrative, that idea is everywhere, especially in the tech world, despite the fact that many people, other than Einstein, have been called crazy, and most of them were actually crazy. This logic reflects a fallacy so basic that it has a name. It's called affirming the consequent. The logic 
flips the script so that being called a pie-eyed dreamer with no fucking clue what you're doing, you can spin that as a positive. After all, if nobody says that about you, then maybe you're not thinking big enough. It's an amazing double backflip. It's a narrative that goes back to the biblical Noah who everyone thought was crazy, but then when the great flood came, Noah got to float around on his ark with his family and his animals yelling, Who's crazy now, fuckos? At the vast expanse of water. Or so the Bible tells us. It really is remarkable when you're looking at Theranos how many investors got duped. It might not be an accident (laughs) that many of the people who got duped were old Republican men. If you are an old Republican man who, how do I put this, maybe hasn't had his candlestick dusted since OJ was known for football, if you're that guy and you're approached by a young woman who, how do I put this, we'll say she is a San Jose 7, East Bay 8, if you're approached by that person, your judgment might be a little clouded. The allure from the guy's point of view, it doesn't even need to be sexual. It can come from the self-aggrandizing compulsion to be a highly visible patron of a compelling young person who just happens to be a woman, albeit a woman who sounds like Sam Elliott and dresses like Ski Lodge Johnny Cash, but a woman nonetheless. And besides, from the investor's point of view, look at the product, a little machine that can test blood using just a finger prick. That's amazing. That would be amazing. And it would be amazing. And unfortunately, that, hey, wouldn't that be amazing dynamic, which allowed Theranos to go undetected for so long, that is at play when it comes to green technology. The impulse to dream big and ask questions later, it actually shows up in the show Silicon Valley, one of my favorite shows ever. I encourage you to look this up on YouTube. Uh, The clip is called Silicon Valley Season 2, Episode 7. This is the clip where Big Head has been put in charge of the Nucleus Project, and he's making his pitch to Gavin Belson, and he describes a phone that can be controlled entirely by the user's mind. And Gavin says, that's amazing! And Big Head says, yes, it is. We just need to figure out how to do it. And I think that perfectly captures the, hey, wouldn't that be amazing attitude that can lead people in this space astray. Now, of course, a successful company has to have an incredible vision. They have to. They also have to have an incredible pitch to describe that incredible vision because that's how they raise incredible amounts of money. I do not live in Silicon Valley. I am not a venture capitalist, but I have been close enough to this world through my time at EPA to have a rough idea of how green technology companies present themselves. And it's basically this. There are two guys. In my experience, it's always two guys. One is American, one is Danish. Two Danish, if you're asking me. At any rate, the American guy has a one-syllable meat-and-potatoes American name, and the other guy has a name that could only be Danish, so they're always like Robin Axel or Steve and Magnus or something like that. At any rate, Dave and Valdemar or whatever, they don't wear suits. They wear jeans and blazers with no ties because they are rad. And Pete and Asger, or whatever their names are, have an amazing idea. They are going to build a skyscraper entirely from pine cones. 
Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? But maybe that's not it. Maybe they have a helicopter that runs entirely on beet juice. Or it might be a meat alternative that tastes exactly like steak, even though it is made from worm semen. At any rate, they have something that sounds incredible. Is there a prototype? Fuck yes, there's a prototype. Can my boss try the prototype? Yes, she can. Just have her sign these 200 waivers in case she accidentally gets, you know, poisoned or decapitated or skinned alive or what have you. I mean, <laughs> lawyers, right? But once you've signed the waiver, Lou and Mikkel or whatever, they have tchotchkes for you before you leave. They have a pen made from recycled goat's teeth. They also have a thumb drive made from clouds that is also an itty-bitty carbon sink. And their company's name, which is always a mashup of exactly two of these seven words. The seven words are green, blue, energy, footprint, wise, tech, and carbon. Two of those words, mashed up, gets printed on the side of the tchotchke. In my experience, the technology they're demonstrating, it's always legitimately impressive. Johan, or whatever his name is, the Danish guy, he's really got some game. There's a reason why the Copenhagen Design Institute named him their most promising and most off-puttingly pale engineer for three years in a row. But does the technology exist is never the right question. The right question is, does the technology scale? I'll say it again. Does the technology scale? After all, your boss's 15-second ride in their monorail made of cheese, that cost them $2 million. They can't sell that thing yet. There are a billion companies out there with a big idea, with remarkable technology, and with no clear fucking idea of how or when they're going to bring that product to market. Of course, investors are supposed to view the lack of a concrete plan with skepticism. You know this if you've ever watched Shark Tank. They're supposed to have some skepticism, but are they actually having the level of skepticism we might want them to have? The first thing I wonder is how many people are even capable of realistically assessing which ideas in this space are going to bear fruit? I mean, we're talking about so far in the future and I honestly feel for a lot of this stuff, you would need a background in economics, engineering, environmental science, and marketing, and probably three or four other things to even have a shot. That's the first thing I wonder. The second thing I wonder is whether people's enthusiasm for green technology is goosing investment a little bit. After all, a lot of people care about climate change, and a lot of people want to make a difference. So these two factors, number one, the inability to access the product, and number two, exuberance about the project's general aura. Those two factors were definitely at play with Theranos. And of course, let's remember, Theranos was cheating. They were lying <laughs> on a massive scale. And let's also note, as problems go, potential over-investment in green technology, that's a pretty good problem to have. But it does seem certain that in some cases, companies' valuations are outpacing their promise. Let me give an example of the type of thing that worries me. Lab-grown meat. There is a very informative and very long article in a publication called The Counter called Lab-grown meat is supposed to be inevitable. The science tells a different story. If you've got some time on your hands, I encourage you to read that article. For me, it was an eye-opener. I learned a lot about lab-grown meat. And the main thing I learned is that 
not every scientist, I mean, far from every scientist, is sold on the idea that lab-grown meat can be scaled. Here's the thing. The meat is grown from cell cultures, and that eliminates the need to raise and slaughter animals. That's fantastic, of course. It really would be nice if we could have meat without slaughtering all those poor, delicious animals. And also, by the way, agriculture is a major source of greenhouse gas emissions. Agriculture, forestry, and land use are about 18% of greenhouse gas emissions. So if you're not raising all those cows and pigs and chickens, you're saving a lot of emissions. So this would be game-changing technology if we could make it happen. So people are excited about lab-grown meat. Investment is pouring in. A few companies have raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And by the way, lab-grown meat does exist. You can buy it in Singapore. So those are my two restaurant recommendations for you. A pancake house in Bethesda and a lab-grown meat restaurant in Singapore. So it does exist. It's out there. You can buy it. But scaling, again, scaling is the challenge. Scaling presents challenges that some experts think just are insurmountable. Because here's the thing. To grow lab-grown meat, you need a sterile environment. Think about the fly episode of Breaking Bad. It needs to be completely sterile. And the building, to grow a lot of this stuff, building needs to be big. It's hard to have a big building and a sterile building at the same time. Also, to the extent that you can achieve that, it's really expensive. So that drives up costs. Now, there might be ways around these issues. If there are, they haven't been invented yet. (laughs) And the Theranos approach to problems like these would have been to invoke some vague, positive-thinking aphorism. Maybe, meat is the art of the impossible, or some shit like that. But at the end of the day, you can't put an aphorism on a bun and fucking eat it. So lab-grown meat might happen, but using current technology, it sure as hell hasn't happened yet. Those are my worries about lab-grown meat. I'll be honest, I had similar feelings when I wrote an article about direct air capture, which is on the Substack, It's called Can Carbon Capture Work? When I wrote that article about direct air capture, which is, you know, it's a machine that sucks carbon out of the air. It's a big fan that sucks carbon out of the air and probably stores it underground. The issue with direct air capture is, once again, say it with me now, scaling. The scaling issues with direct air capture are mind-boggling. Using current technology, removing one gigaton of carbon every year, and we currently emit about 32 gigatons from energy only every year. So we emit 32. To get one, one of those 32 out of the air would require a structure about as wide as the entire United States. That is a big bank of fans. And by the way, if the fans are powered by coal then obviously you've wasted your effort. That's not going to work. So we also need clean energy to become common and ubiquitous so that we can run direct air capture pilot projects and hopefully that will one day lead to new technology that can maybe be deployed at scale. That's the way this could work. And there's no guarantee that any of this is going to work. Honestly, it's hard for me to even talk about these processes without feeling like I'm underpants gnoming things a bit. I hope that's a reference everyone gets. Google South Park underpants gnomes. It is a great (laughs) shorthand phrase for describing a half-baked plan that probably doesn't even deserve to really be called a plan. So that's my pessimism around direct air capture. Before that was my pessimism 
around lab-grown meat. And I don't mean to be pessimistic. Again, the goal is to be clear-eyed as much as possible. And let me reiterate that (laughs) investment in green technology, that is good. That is a good thing. And there's also an excellent chance that some of this stuff is going to work and the people who invest in that stuff are going to get stupid rich. Also, the lessons from Theranos, they might not be extremely relevant. Theranos was, after all, committing massive fraud. And also the gray-haired remnants of the Reagan-era foreign policy apparatus, those folks might not be the world's most savvy investors. But it's clear that some of the things we're excited about today, those are ultimately going to amount to jack shit. A few of them. A few of them. There are going to be a few cylindras. There's going to be a Pets.com or five. And yes, there are probably going to be two or three Theranoses Theranoses in there. We need to accept that's all okay as long as everyone realizes that we are not going to run the table technology-wise here. And honestly, we're probably not going to come close. So what am I getting at here? What I'm getting at here is this. We need to keep going. Don't let outlier techno-optimists and the most pie-eyed backers of the Green New Deal fool you. We do not presently have the technology that we need, and also there is no guarantee that it is going to arrive anytime soon. Anyone who is giving off, hey, this is going to be easy, all we need to do is this, vibes, that person is being misleading. Some of the ideas that seem really promising today will fail, so we need to develop multiple pathways to success. That's why the large amounts of money being directed towards green technology. That's why that really is a good thing. I do hope that a large number of those investors get pornographically rich. That's my first takeaway. My second takeaway is that the uncertain status of green technology is influencing my thinking on climate engineering. If you are not familiar with climate engineering, this is the idea of altering the atmosphere to reflect sunlight back into space. I put a primer on the written version of this article on imightberwrong.substack.com. There's a short primer. There's a long primer. Climate engineering. Look, it's a risky plan. Nobody wants to do it. But it might end up being our least bad option if we cannot get greenhouse gas emissions under control. In my opinion, I think we need to start thinking about climate engineering now in case we need to do it later. I don't want to do it, but we might have to do it. And one of the main reasons I feel that way is that I am just not sure that the green technology we need is going to arrive in time. Ultimately, the fact that Theranos was a wish-filled pile of bullshit, it doesn't mean that every startup with a grand vision is the same. Of course, we do need to prepare ourselves for the possibility that some of them are, and in fact, maybe several of them are. If, one day, the once-heralded CEO of a green tech firm gets exposed as a total fraud, we shouldn't think, oh my God, the revolution was a lie. We should think this is going to make a kick-ass documentary someday. A certain amount of bullshit has to be assumed, especially because if you're really looking, if you're really paying attention, it is pretty goddamn obvious that the bullshit is there. And that's the episode. I do look forward to hearing from the Danish Anti-Defamation League, or DADL. Uh, And I also look forward to hearing from the lawyers of every 
lab-grown meat firm in existence. There are hundreds of them now. That's going to be a lot of lawsuits. Nonetheless, I will be back next week with another episode, assuming I can juggle the dozens, if not hundreds, of suits that I'm about to be subject to. Anyway, thank you for listening. Again, all my crap, and that really might be the best way to put it, all my crap is at imightberwrong.substack.com. Please check it out. Thank you very much for listening. We are going to be played out by Zez Coffrey's cat, and bye for now. Thank you.